no, no plunder on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> Dumb and dumber, I'd call What a wild... What a... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave that in. I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> what? what a wild ride. What, what? <laughs> what a wild ride it was. The 2023 Women's World Cup, Australia and New Zealand, is come to a close. Has come to a close, in fact. God, this is getting off to a great start. <laughs> um, yes, welcome back to the 40-yard switch, as always. Uh, as you can tell, uh, I am the possibly not-so-serious today host, Jasper Woody Woodson, uh, and across from me, uh, my ever-dependable co-pilot, Wilbur Kudelux. How are you, my man? Yeah, very good. It was a was a wild ride. Wild ride. Um, but yeah, what a, what a tournament. Um Obviously, didn't didn't get the the fairy tale story for the for the Matildas or um, for the lionesses. Yeah, or for the lionesses for that matter. Um, but I suppose in the end, it was a bit of a fairy tale for Spain, despite the sort of shadows over the camp that kind of remain. Yeah, um, they all still seemed incredibly happy and and take nothing away from them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, incredible run for Australia. Crazy tournament and. Yeah, a very good run for the Lionesses as well. And you, you just wonder the sort of missed opportunities um, that have come because of those injuries. But it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, yeah, look, we'll, and we'll talk more about uh, the achievements of both those teams, particularly the Matildas in, in some due course. But I guess we have to start before we you know do anything. As we, as we For the majority of this episode, we'll reflect on what was the Women's World Cup. We'll have, we have to start with the, with, the, with the winners. So obviously, uh, we came into this prior to the World Cup. You had them as a smoky, as a, as a dark horse, because despite the talent in the field, uh, in the team, they still had a heavily rotated squad from even last year's Euros. Uh, um, only three players of the 15 that refused to play have come back. Yeah. Not all, and it has to be remain, it also has to be said that like, they were missing 13 players, oh no, 12 players, but not all of those 12 players were starting players. Like there was, there was some very good players, players in there like, uh, like Leon and others, yeah. but also there were others that were just sort of more squad players. But three of the players that did come back, uh, Bon Matty, Cardona, and I can't remember the last one, but those P- two. Pateus, wasn't it? Oh yeah, no, Pateus and Hermosa were not part of the group that, oh. which, is, which I recently found out as well. True, okay. But um, yeah. But yeah, regardless of that, uh, coaching and federation issues aside, the player tensions, they were still incredible. Played some beautiful football throughout the entire tournament and on the night were easily the better team. Yeah. yeah. It was a close game just because I don't think England have had a game that wasn't close. Um, when like, That's the Serena Wiegand's first loss in a, in a professional, in a like not a friendly game Yeah, uh, since she took over. Yeah. So yeah, um, it was always going to be close, but yeah, they they had they had dominated the ball um, and were, were worth their win in the end. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think after Earp saved the penalty, there was just a bit of like momentum switched back towards England, but they still just didn't have. I think that thing that we spoke about, or maybe just I spoke about earlier in the tournament, of them lacking a little bit of cutting edge, kind of came back a little bit. Like, they didn't look to suffer from it too badly against Australia. But, yeah, they just didn't look that sharp in the final third again. Mm. I um, think it also comes down to just sort of depth on the bench wasn't quite there. Because mm. you think if you're, if if they had Williamson, Mead and Kirby, you're perhaps bringing on Ella Toon and bringing on Lauren James... Um, and, and instead of, instead of like, and, oh, and, and um, so you probably, you probably would have started with, uh, and you potentially you could, you could bring on one of Greenwood or Carter if, if one of the defenders gets tired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you can also probably play a four at the back more confidently because you've got Williamson in the team. Mm, yeah. So the, the, the three at the back formation had worked for a time, but I think sort of came undone. And then at the point where they needed a little bit more depth, instead of bringing on an Ella Toon, um, or, 
a uh, um, Lauren James. Yeah, well, you know, because we did we did bring on Lauren James. Yeah, but true. Instead of bringing on uh, more quality players, they were starting already. Because um, you know, where you could have had Kirby and then bring on Ella Toon. Yeah, uh, something like that. But yeah. uh, and instead of having Beth Mead and then bringing on someone else. Yeah, yeah. I think Spain, like all tournament, moved the ball very, very well, mm-hmm. and like I think. I reckon that like the result against Japan probably like threw people off a little bit. Um, yeah, and that still just seems like such a strange result, like flash in the pan, pan sort of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, literally all tournament, starting with the Costa Rica game, they moved the ball so well, and they did that until the final. And I don't think England really came up against a team, um, and potentially even any any other team in the tournament were able to like move the ball. That yeah, well, and some so. of the interplay they did to even just play out from the back. Yeah, throughout around England was just incredible to watch, and the goal it itself in that game from from Olga was yeah crazy, crazy, yeah incredible. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy that the three of the top four nations that rank, that finished in the top four of the World Cup are finishing in their highest ever finish in a World Cup. Yeah, Spain, England, and Australia, which is just incredible. You know, new kids on the block. Mm. But a, a familiar story for Sweden. Um, yeah, yeah. C- kind of getting to the latter stages, but not quite cracking that um, World Cup win, um, despite being in, in the advanced stages so much. Yeah, I think it was their third semi-final loss uh, yeah. at a Women's World Cup. But yeah, uh, again, I think that Sweden won the won the third place playoff, but we were fortunate to come up against a Australia side that was just out on their feet. Like yeah. they they they. Like they credit their heart and and never, and like you can never say they never threw the towel in. But um, I even said it on on Twitter during the game. Like it, it was like I said, it's almost like one team rested their entire starting eleven in the third game of the group stage, and another team has the least amount of minutes given to substitutes for the yeah. entire tournament. And that's what it looked like. Yeah. Sweden were just way fresher, and by the seventieth minute, Australia were we couldn't we couldn't run anymore. Yeah. And I suppose that sort of momentum that would sort of carry you forward, you know, pushing for like the World Cup title was lost as well. So, yeah, it gets it gets extra hard, um, even harder than it, than it is. But yes, a momentous occasion, a momentous achievement for the Matildas, not just in terms of the highest finish at a World Cup, but sort of just what they've done in uh, for football in Australia, but also women's football in Australia. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the next thing I wanted to sort of talk about. It's just it's just the impact that it's had on this country. Um, even just in, if you break it down to numbers, eleven point one five million people watching the semi final against England. That's forty percent of the entire country. Uh, it's the most watched sporting event of all time in Australia. Really? Yeah. Okay. No. Actually, no. It's the most watched TV event of all time in Australia. There has never been forty people tuning in to watch one thing. Yeah, forty percent of the of the entire population tuning in to watch one thing before. And yeah, it, they did for that game, which is just phenomenal. Um, uh, also, average of six point mil six point five million viewers um, per game for the Matildas, mm. which is just nuts. Yeah. Like that, that, I think that that's that's a, that's a record in itself for just like game by game statistics. Yeah, uh, and then for the World Cup itself, I can't. I don't have my phone on me here, but I think I may I may have it um, on Safari. But I think the oh yes, um, in terms of tickets sold, um, the Women's World Cup set a new uh, record for the biggest attendance in the tournament's history. A total of one million nine hundred seventy-eight thousand eight hundred twenty-four fans went to the sixty-four games in total. Yeah, which is eclipsing the previous record of uh, the twenty fifteen edition in Canada, which had one point one million three hundred fifty-three thousand five hundred six. Yeah, so uh, that's like a what six hundred thousand plus. Increase. Yep. So that's again, it's just incredible. Uh, and then subsequently, the two hundred million dollar investment from the federal government it, into w- women's sport, which which would have been nice if it was just women's football, but I guess funding is funding at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah, just just breaking records, breaking down barriers. Yeah, I think yeah, it, w- it was like and yeah, the numbers speak for themselves. But yeah, it was it was definitely evident across the across the whole tournament that yeah the the support that it was garnering from everybody um 
And like the Matildas games definitely um, gained obviously the most attention. But yeah, all, all of the games definitely yeah. pulled a lot of interest. And yeah, I think I, I saw something on social media about, you know, sort of guys kind of getting together to watch like women's sport and that potentially being something quite rare previously and that was 100%. happening like lots this time around which is a which is a very good um which is a very good thing um oh our, our house is is the testament to that yeah it was um uh gus declan me uh and dane yeah all, all got around the couch watching the, the semi-final yeah yeah which is awesome, um, and I mean, you know, it's 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 not like an amazing thing, but you know, it's it's it, it's good that you know that isn't something that doesn't it, happen anymore. It's pro, it's progress, like not obviously not within our circle of friends who are all supportive of women's sport, um, but it's progress in in the larger scale of and substantial progress from, you know, men either not being interested or even to the extreme sort of putting down women's sport yeah, to now yeah. uniting in support of women's sport. Yeah. Which I think is, which, which is, which, which has to be commented on because that is like what, in what probably five years is a substantial growth. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there was just lots of great spectacles. Um, fuck, what was the other thing I was going to say? Just... <laughs> oh yeah. I, I remember he, I, I saw an interview with Ellie Carpenter after, I think after the semi-final or after the quarter-final. But oh yeah. She no. mentioned how she went to see a Matilda's game when she was quite young and there was like 30, I think she said 30 people in the stadium. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, playing in front of 75,000 at Stadium Australia for the for some of those games. Yeah, it's just a crazy, like, just crazy progress. Um, and long may it continue. I mean, it's it's great, like, as just being a football fan that, you know, now, not that we didn't have World Cups every two years uh, before, but now, like, kind of got that extra interest in it and... Yeah, don't have to wait four years for a World Cup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, and 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 it's just I think it's also like as good as it has been for women's sport. I think also just and football in Australia was was growing regardless, and was going to eventually surpass every sport in Australia regardless. But I think more and more and more, uh, maybe not initially in the viewership of the A League and the A League women, but in sort of the amount of people playing it it's it's gonna it's if it hasn't already surpassed afl it's it's gonna surpass it very soon hmm. and that's not to say that uh, like you know put down afl it's just that like australia is is is, is a footballing nation if it, like and it's not it was before but it, it certifiably is now yeah 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 and I, and I think there's room for all the codes like yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just good that there's yeah the, the growth in, in interest in football in and Australia. Yeah, the sure. ne- the next thing will be for the women's game in Australia will be making sure that all the A League women teams uh, have their players on full time wages. Yeah, because that needs to happen. That needs to happen. It needs to ne- needs to be the next big step for football. And maybe the two hundred million funding can go to that, but hmm. we'll see. All right, so then that that's the impact cover. Now we want to skip on to back to the tournament and just sort of pick out some of our sort of favourite moments uh, from the tournament. So I've got... How about we start with best goal or favourite goal? Let's go favourite goal. Favourite goal? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, there's two. Uh, it's the Linda Caicedo goal and the Sam Kerr goal in the semi-final. Yeah. For me, it's the the Caicedo goal. I, yeah. lo- I loved that. That was fucking amazing. Um yeah, just such quality feet and such um, such a big occasion. I yeah. mean, you can say the same for Kurz as well. But, yeah, yeah. No, I think yeah, like different. Like like you can say Kurz is in like a further along in the tournament, so past, and you know, home home crowd and everything. But for Colombia, that goal is huge. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, so it's it, it's definitely it depends on what perspective you're looking at it in terms of how big a moment is or isn't for a team. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Like I wonder whether the the significance of the moment is kind of overshadowed a bit by the way Germany played in the next game like yeah. because like because they kind of showed that they were just a bit offered in the tournament and that and I don't think that overshadows, overshadows it for but considering fans, how they played but, in the first game yeah it's like yeah, yeah. true true alright so would that be also be your favourite moment of the World Cup favourite moment or, or or do you have another one mm, you go first I think my favourite moment um would probably have to be the penalty shootout, France versus Australia. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. That was that was incredible. Yeah. I'd say, I'd like I'd say that would have to be it as well, but I'm trying to think of another moment. Um yeah. mine would have been if England had won the World Cup, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that what was the Lauren James game where she just like was Oh, ridiculous. the China game. Yeah, the yeah, China. Lauren was... James against China I think is yeah. a bit of like a standout. Like just like burst onto the scene in that game. Yeah, the excitement around that game was yeah. was crazy. And she could have had cuz she scored two but then she's had the third one disallowed. Yeah. Yeah, and then the disallowed finish was stupid and then the volley for the last one was like crazy. Crazy. Um so yeah, that that was definitely. I don't know if that's a moment, but yeah. no, that's a moment. Yeah. The penalty shootout's a, like a, a moment, and yeah. that's a moment. The penalty shootout is is historic. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we spoke about it the other episode. Um, and then I, I suppose this isn't a good moment, but it's another kind of like like interesting kind of like parallel with the men's game. I think we spoke about before of Lauren Jane stamping on someone and Beckham and uh, yeah, obviously he's yeah. done similar things and been you know very important. Um, and, and been missing for England as a result of it. Yeah. I also think another key thing for me was um, the sort of changing of the guard, if you will, of the US falling the earliest they ever have in a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like obviously, you, know, you never, like, never want to like prey on a team's demise, but it's, it's definitely uh, a moment of note, you were saying, yeah. going out that early. And, in, and think- with such trusted people missing penalties, like... Uh, Megan Rapinoe yeah yeah I think in terms of moments that is like the one that sticks out for me from that one is you know just like the the millimetre yeah over the line of the ball yeah yeah, yeah true yeah. true like crazy alright so those are some of our favourite moments um, yeah and Musevich in that game oh, yeah, as well yeah, yeah, yeah. favourite player from the entire tournament favourite player do you have one ready uh, I think so yeah I quite, I mean, I, I really liked Parayueo, yeah. but I think, um, I think I'd probably go with Carmona. Yeah. I, I really liked her towards the latter stages of the tournament. My um, favorite player was, and like, not like, I know this sounds like a cop out because she won player of the tournament, but Bomati. I yeah, thought just yeah. her quick feet, her, the way she played in the final two was just incredible. Um, and also just a player that I didn't, I did like in our research for the Parade of the Tournament, I, I we didn't really know much about her. Yeah, uh, and she was incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and a, a, sh- a shout out to Kaya Cooney Cross as well. I thought twenty one in your first ever uh, international tournament for Australia. Hmm. She 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 led well. She did well. Yeah, I think like basically all of the Matilda squad, you could mm. say, but. It's, it's kind of hard to narrow one down because I feel like a lot of players kind of like Chipped endeared in, yeah. themselves to to the Australian fans 100%. in that tournament. Um, so. All right. So now we've got the tricky test of coming up with a combined 11 team of the tournament. So we're going to build this together. We're going to like throw ideas at each other for a 4-4-3, four, 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 no, 4-3-3 three, three formation. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to suggest some players. We're going to suggest some players and we're going to come to a compromise and end up with a combined team. So we're going to start with goalkeeper of the tournament. Who would be your first pick? My first pick, the first name that I put down was Mary Earps. See, I had Mary Earps or Mackenzie Arnold, so I'm happy with Mary Earps. Yeah. I had Mary Earps or Musevich. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's, I think it's interesting because Mackenzie Arnold kept more clean sheets than anyone. Yeah, but I do, th- I do think Mary Epps was probably the one in. Mary Epps was very good, and Mary Mary Epps was very good in the final as well. Yeah, she was. Like, yeah, no one was saving that Carmona goal, but yeah, no. she was very good. All right, so happy with Mary Epps. Mary Epps. Uh, one in. question I did have with you is for this thing: do we, do, do, if we have two players that were really good, but they both play the same fullback spot, can we have them one on each wing, one on each fullback position, or do they have to be a right back and a left back? Let's discuss the names. Okay, I, well, I, I, I don't think they necessarily have to I be. Want, if, if we... I was going to have Steph Catley and Cardona. Olga Cardona. Carmona, yeah. Carmona, yeah. sorry. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I, I've got an, in the left-back position Carmona and Catley. Yeah. And then you didn't have any right-backs listed? I mean, Lucy Bronze. Yeah. But... I got Bronze and Carpenter. I didn't think Carpenter had our best tournament. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. 
Bronze is a shout too. too. It's like it was in, but I feel like Catley was so good. She also deserves to be in there. So it's more like yeah. But I, if, if we're gonna be if we're gonna be you know quote unquote harsh, then we can just narrow it down to Carmona or Catley. I think it should be Carmona or Catley. Okay, Catley. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so Carmona. Yeah. And Lucy Bronze. Yeah, I think Lucy Bronze had a substantially better yeah. tournament than early cup. To when we post it, we can say honourable mention. To we Catley. can. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll have we'll have a bench of five. How about that? Okay. For any yeah. players that we can't quite squeeze in. Yeah. So Catley's on there right now. Yeah. Um. Center backs. I've got Illestead is locked in as one. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a second yet. Did you have any other ones? I had Wendy Renard. Wendy Renard. I was thinking about Alana Kennedy too, but then she missed two games through the yeah. injury. I thought Renard was very good for the whole tournament. Um, they went out in the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. I don't know. I, I I thought she I thought she performed well up until that point. Yeah, was cool in the penalty shootout. I, mean, I I can't really I can't really falter throughout the tournament apart yeah. from France going out. I also don't think any of the I think Paredes was good for Spain, but I feel like Spain's defense didn't shine as brightly as their attack did. Yeah, and their midfield did. Yeah, so I'm okay. I, I'm happy I'm happy with Wendy Renard. I think Wendy. I, I think yeah, Wendy I'm happy with Wendy Renard. Because who else? I mean, so there's Millie Bright. Yeah, I think her out of the, out of the three of her, Jess Carter and Greenwood should be the what the main one. Yeah. yeah, but I also don't think she was. I wouldn't say she didn't put a foot wrong. The whole but it was time. just like in a back three, it's hard to really pick out any of those centre backs as being highlights. Yeah, I feel like. and then obviously there's Illustad from Sweden. And then you could also argue that Claire Hunt was very good. Played every game for Australia. Yeah, but I think if. I think Kennedy's probably the the star of that, and yeah. you've noticed when she was out that Australia suffered. Yeah. So yeah, we're going Wendy Renard. Yeah, let's go Wendy Renard. Maybe we is um, Kennedy on the bench. Well, let's see how we go. We'll see how we go. We'll see how we go because we've only got five bench spots. Yeah. Um, okay, so so that makes Carmona, Illestead, Renard, and Bronze. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, in the midfield, so we've got the the sitting midfield and then two and then two centre mids. Yeah, I was struggling for the sitting midfield. I was going to pick. Katrina Gorey. Katrina Gorey. Yeah, most okay. tackles of anyone at the tournament. Also most uh, distance covered for anyone at the tournament. Yeah. I did have her name down. Um, so, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, Katrina Gorey. Then I was going to have Bomati. Yeah. I think it's hard to... So, yeah. It's six Gorey. Bomati is the eight. Yeah. Yeah. And, then... and Lauren James? No. I had Jill Rod From Netherlands. As the more attacking... Just as the other other centre mid, the other. Centimid. I thought she was super good. Uh, probably Netherlands' best player throughout the entire tournament. They made it to the quarterfinals. She also she also scored four goals from midfield, which was the second highest goal tally of anyone. Hmm. Did you have another one that you would want? I think hard to give it to Lauren James when you miss two games like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had Hasegawa. Yeah, I I I I had a different Japanese player in mind. Who Miyazawa? Miyazawa. But that's for the the forwards yeah 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 alright so but Hasegawa is, is more the the alternate 8 okay alternate 8 so you want maybe who who would you prefer to have out of Gerard and Hasegawa maybe one of them goes on the bench I feel like Gerard for me was more impressive just with yeah. the goal tally and like leading that Netherlands team yeah okay let's go Gerard so Gerard then Hasegawa on the bench so we've yeah. got Hasegawa Catley so far. Yeah, has to go on Kelly on the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, attackers now. Um, I feel like, for me, the two wingers that I said to you off air that I had locked in was yeah. Parayueo and Miyazawa. Yeah, okay. Who did you have? Well, I had Ka- I had Kaiseido in the mix as well. Yeah, okay. And to be honest, I was struggling for a, I was struggling for a striker. Because mm. I also thought Hayley Razzo was a decent shout as well, four goals. He was yeah. pretty good. Diani was also quite good. I feel like she kind of played up top a bit as well. You yeah. could you could argue her or Paraguay. Oh, yeah, she did play. You could argue that her or Paraguayo could have could could be the central player. Mm. I'd fail the list as well. I thought she had a pretty good tournament. I do. I just think there were other f- strike players that played centrally that were probably better than her. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's stiff to leave Kaiseido out because she really led the. But didn't lead, but was really the star player for for Colombia in their run. 
I just which think... is which is a historic run, even though it's not as late in the tournament. Yeah. What was it? What was it? Round round six? No, quarterfinals. They I went. I think out. it was quarters. Yeah. Yeah, they went yeah. out to England. Yeah. I just think that it, I, w- I would probably have her on the bench. I feel like. Okay. Just because I feel like Miyazawa, Parajueo, Haley Razo all went significantly further in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, and better go- and better goal tallies as well. Because Casado had three. Wait, did Japan go out in the? Went out in the quarters, quarters, as well, right? yeah, yeah, quarters. Yeah. But Miyazawa just because she, yeah, she, she has the golden boot, yeah, yeah. Um, and Diani as well went out in the quarters. But okay, so who's going to go through the middle then? I reckon I reckon Parajueo through the middle. Yeah, Miyazawa and Hedy Razo it would probably be my pick. Do you have any objection with that? Is there any other any other players you'd rather get on there? Nah, I'm happy. With, I'm happy with that. I'm and then so Caicedo on the bench, yeah, with Diani or no Diani. The the only thing is, I thought, I mean, Paraguayo, I oh know she was good when she played down the middle, but she was also very effective from the wing as well. Anyway, no, nah, I, I don't. But know. But like, it, it, as there's no real standout striker, yeah, because like, what was it? Pop uh, didn't make it past the group yeah. stage despite having four goals, yeah. and Alessia Russo. Did, started slowly, finished strong, but like didn't really have yeah, as I'd, much impact. Yeah, I don't think she was better. And Sam Kerr was injured for half the tournament. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, Razo, Parue, Miyazawa. Yeah. And then Kaiseido goes to the bench. So that means we've got three on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have Diani on the bench as well, or Fowler on the bench? I feel like Fowler could be on the bench. Played it. Played on. Played every game. Mary Fowler. I feel like. What about Ford? Caitlin Ford. Yeah. I reckon Ford could make I think the bench. Ford probably had his probably edged at tournament like over Razo. You think? No, over Fowler. Over, over Fowler, Fowler, yeah. In terms of performance in the whole tournament. Yeah, no, I'd have her on the bench. Yeah. Okay, so that means Caicedo, Fowler. No, Caicedo. Sorry, uh, Ford. Ford. Uh, Hasegawa. Hasegawa. Catley. Catley. And then Mackenzie Arnold. Yeah, Mackenzie Arnold. Okay. Yeah. Are we happy with that? So yeah, we've got yeah. <laughs> Mary Epps, Lucy Bronze, Randy Renard, Illestead, uh Carmona. Carmona. Yeah. Then we've got Katrina Gorry, Bomati, Jill Rod. Yeah. Then we've got Miyazawa, Parajueo, Haley Razo. Yeah. I'm actually really happy with that. Yeah, it's it's a well balanced team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then j- wait, just confirming the bench. Uh, Catley, yeah. Hasegawa, yeah. Kaiseido, yeah. Caitlin Ford, yeah. And Mackenzie Arnold, Mackenzie Arnold, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. that, we actually did that really well. Yeah, I'm proud of us yeah. for that one. <laughs> that, was, that was quite good. Yeah, maybe we should start doing it that way. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. There's a lots of there's lots of deliberating though. But yeah, anyway. but like, it's good. They they, they want to they want to hear us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope you guys want to hear us uh, deliberate like that. I actually wonder how that's going to sound. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of like, see, you reckon? I wonder about that. Uh, all right. Okay. So, oh, hello, mum. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now that was the team of the tournament for the Women's World Cup, and that thus concludes our a coverage of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2022. It's been good. 2023. It has been good. Um, yeah. Just, just two World Cups in the space of seven months. No, eight months great i love yeah. it it's a beautiful thing yeah and now and a, and like and now like you said we can well. we, we can look forward at, we can, yeah and now we can look forward to football tournaments every year yeah where they're men's and women's euros and world cups yeah that's great <laughs> it's beautiful um this is why we don't need another we don't need a men's world cup every two years yeah because yeah. with the growing popularity of the women's game there's gonna, there's gonna be enough there's gonna be a major world tournament every year anyway yeah anyway all right, moving on to uh, Premier League round two takeaways. So what we, I think what we, what we might do moving forward for this is just pick five key stories uh, for each um, Premier League round. Yeah. So that way we can like talk about some stuff, but we don't have to talk about everything because not every game is of note. Yeah. But it's better than just doing like the two big games and sort of give our thoughts on that type of thing. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so kicking it off with... West Ham Chelsea game, but the broader narrative is the contrasting in debut performances of Caicedo and James Ward-Prowse. So James Ward-Prowse started and had a phenomenal game um, 
I don't have his stats up for but it was something like 89% uh, pass completion. Uh, and like, yeah, I think you sent it to yeah, the group chat. To, yeah. But yeah, he had two assists. Uh, it was amazing. It was, was typically amazing on dead ball situations. Two assists. Um, and yeah, had a, had some really good possession statistics, really good passing statistics. And just looked immediately at home uh, in that West Ham midfield as they went on to beat uh, Chelsea 3-1. Whereas Caicedo had a 30-minute cameo. Do you want to go through his stats? Yeah. 81 minutes played, 96% pass accuracy, 38 touches, 23 passes, three ground drills, one, three clearances, two recoveries, and two debut assists. Yeah, so class from James Ward-Prowse. But then, conversely, Caicedo came off the bench for 30 minutes, for a 30-minute cameo, and proceeded to give the ball away eight times uh, before giving away a penalty, which put the nail in the coffin for Chelsea. Mm. Um, yeah, look, big contrast in performances. And one midfielder was worth thirty million, or was bought for thirty million. The other one was bought for a Premier League record fee of one hundred fifteen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm, I mean, we have spoken about it on and off air of just like how difficult it is. Um. Or just like historically, players not performing when they get bought for large sums of money. Um, I mean, I don't know what it is. I suppose it. it def- I mean, pressure's definitely got something to do. I mean, with Declan it. Rice got man of the match this weekend. Yeah, so. yeah, he's the. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like pre- pressure definitely comes into it, and I suppose like the difference. I'm, I'm not trying to make the case that of anything in particular but I think um, the situations that Declan Rice has found himself in the last couple of weeks have been probably a little bit more favourable than coming on against West Ham when you're down to one yeah, when, yeah. You're, when you're down to one and kind of have to make something happen like you've got it in your head that you know you've got to be price tag on your head um, but yeah it was I mean it the, just couldn't the, have gone the, the challenge, the challenge was extremely rash yeah um and kind of nowhere near it. And then and to give the ball away eight times yeah. is just very uncharacteristic. Of him, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I do I, I do think this is a flash in the pan. I don't mm. think this is going to be, oh my God, he's a massive flop. And like, But I just think it's like just really unfortunate that everything that could have gone wrong for him did go wrong. Uh, and... It's a it's a horrible way to start yeah. too. I mean, like even if it is just a flash in the pan, like he now has to recover from that yeah. as well, and I think that makes it I don't know that makes it very hard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I feel for him, but at the same time, I find it hilarious that Chelsea spend all this money and then lose in that fashion. Yeah. Nearly to, a bill- to West Ham, who like have you know a couple of weeks ago hadn't made any signings at all. Yeah. Um, and and now looking like they've kind of starting to use the Declan Rice money quite well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just... I'm, and I'm sure Chelsea have looked pretty good in both Liverpool and West Ham games, but to, to be sitting on one point after those two games... Yeah. It's just the way it is. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting situation now at Chelsea. That I've seen it flying around social media that they've made more signings... Um, than they've won games in the Premier League since Todd Bowley's taken over. Yeah, um, They've won five games of their last 31 Premier League, Premier yeah. League games. Their injury list now consists of uh, Chukwemeka, James, Nkunku, Badiashil, Fafana, Broja, Chalaba, and uh, Betanelli. Yeah, he doesn't play. Oh, he's, the, he's the backup goalkeeper, so now they're trying to sign another backup goalkeeper, making another signing. Um which is just an incredible injury list to have already get two games into the season. Yeah, and obviously the most high profile of which uh, is the captain, Reese James. Um, so, And best player when he's fit, let's be real here too. Yeah, I think a lot of people are expecting them to be to be better this year. Um, and I mean, there's still probably plenty of time for that. I still that. think they will be. They'll be better. They'll, they'll be but obviously better than 12. Just yeah. outside the top four, but I'm not sure if they're going to be just outside the top four because I think that has just become so much more um, so much more competitive around those places in the Premier League. And there's still, it seems like there's still so much work to do on this team. Yeah. And like if you looked at if you looked at their bench on the weekend, there was just so many like at least four or five players who I was like, who is that? I've yeah. never heard of them before in my life. And like me and you pride ourselves on on having a 
pretty decent knowledge of most squads and most squads bench. Mm. And I had no idea who five of the players on the Chelsea bench were. I was like, I've never seen that name before in my life. Yeah. Is it... I mean, to be honest, I didn't see heaps of this game. Was it was it a, was it this a case of Chelsea playing badly, or was it a case of West Ham Chelsea playing well? Were better in the first thirty minutes, okay. uh, and so West Ham obviously scored against the run of play with the header, um, and then uh, Ch- Chukwemeka scores that great goal to get them back in it. Yeah, and they were, they were well on top for probably the majority of the first half. But then West Ham, to their credit, made made some really good second half adjust, adjustments, uh, and were the better team in the second half, even when even after going down to ten men. Mm. So it's like, I think it's it's a case of Chelsea show signs that they can be really good, but not for sustained periods. Like yeah. they looked really good in 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 moments against Liverpool last week as well, and probably on the over the course of the ninety minutes, were, did have were the better team on balance slightly. Yeah. But then they still had like a moment, like a 20 minute moment in the first half where if Mo Salah's like half of a half a yard uh, on side, that they're down 2-0 and it's a completely different game. Yeah. I mean... And I do still think there are some very big defensive frailties that they're yet to sort out. But offensively, they look they look good going forward. Yeah. I, and I think that's the thing. And, you know, the kind of defensive frailties um, and the kind of inconsistency in performances throughout like... In like sustained performance out throughout the ninety minutes is symptomatic of a team that hasn't gelled properly. Yeah, and that has lots of pieces, um, but that aren't quite put together yet. Yeah, I think one one thing that I do remember from the game is um, Raheem Sterling. Yeah, he's been really good very, first very two good. weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, he, he's kind of flown under the radar because of everything else that's going on at Chelsea, but because and also because I think people kind of expected him to be a bit washed because he was bad towards the end of last season. Yeah, but he's been really good. Yeah, like, just driving into the driving into the box, beating players one on one. He's been really solid. Yeah. All right, there's uh, plenty to sort out. Yeah, lots of, and Chelsea will be the t- the team to watch for the next few weeks, I'd imagine. Hmm. Uh, along with the next team or next two teams, we'll be talking about. So, Ange Postacoglu gets his first win in the Premier League. The first win by any Australian coach ever in the Premier League with a 2-0 win over United, whose struggles continue from the Wolves game last week. And we did say, we both predicted last week on the podcast that if United didn't uh, sharpen the ideas up, the same thing would happen uh, that happened against Wolves, but a better team this time would put some goals away. And they did. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw a stat. Uh, I don't know if you saw. It. I think it was on Monday Night Football of uh, <laughs> Jamie talking about the Casemiro being the most dribble pass def- uh, defensive midfielder. Yeah. Um, and then Brute at six, Bruno has seven, seven, and Mount has four. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm glad they also showed the dribble pass of 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 the other two donuts. Um, because I think you you know you're like what we spoke about a lot how if. Like how is that midfield going to work together? Balance and it's, wise, and yeah. it's not it's not working t- well together because of the lack of balance, and that's why you see Casemiro getting dribbled past so quickly. Like he, he's only one player, literally, and if, yeah. And if he's the only defensive player in the midfield, then you can't cover everything, and you're going to get dribbled past. The only midfielder that I've seen be able to cover all of that space like that in the past five or past ten years. Uh, in the Premier League has been N'Golo Kante. Yeah, yeah. Like only, like literally only at one mid- midfielder I've seen. Him at his peak could probably do that, but no one is N'Golo Kante at his peak. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, Casemiro is what? He's like 31, 32 now. Like he's like still at the pale end of his peak, but he's not getting any faster and not getting any more mobile. Like, And like you saw like in the average positions that it's like him and then literally Mount and Fernandez next to each other. Mount's supposed to, in the lineup, Mount's supposed to be sitting next to Casemiro. Yeah. And I do think, like, you, you you have to look at the players for sure. And, you know, the players are getting, obviously, these stats put against their name and, and, and analyzed. But I do think as well that Ten Hag has got a lot to answer for for how that midfield is operating currently because he had a full window. He got seemingly got the players that, that he wanted more yeah. often than not. Um and it's completely dysfunctional. Yeah, and like it's like, at what point do you just go, yeah, we spent £60 million on Mason Mount, but it's not working. Bring Eric Christian Eriksen back in. Yeah. Because the midfield was more balanced with him in it. Exactly. And I think, I mean, we spoke about when Mount 
um, was signed, whether he'd be, you know, sort of the not backup for Bruno, but an, a, like a competition for places for Bruno, um, and and potentially being an, another piece like further forward than that, uh, but not necessarily him him being that um, d- deeper line midfield, which which is a role that he's never played before. No. So it's it's very interesting that that was the plan, or seemingly that's what the plan was. Yeah, when it just to like make him into something as, he's never been before. People as with as much football knowledge as we have consider yeah. that, that wasn't going to work. Yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was I was going to say that you know I think now they've got a, a, another case where they've given the armband to Bruno Fernandez and he's looking like. A bit, you know, it's just, just typically ju- petulant. Yeah, know. just as bad a performance as, well, that that might be going too far as Harry Maguire, um, that's and a just little, that's a little bit hyperbolic. <laughs> and just well, you know, yeah, yeah, like equally is like blunt performances. I mean, yeah, like like and like everyone misses chances, but like the manner in which he misses that header, oh yeah, is just terrible. is terrible. And like, I think, yeah, like. He's never been known as a defensively minded midfielder, but getting dribbled past seven times more than any other midfielder is like you got to put in a bit of work, especially if you're captain. Yeah, I think he's. I think for, from my perspective, he's not been known as a defensive midfielder, but he's been one that's known to like work put hard. in a good shift and yeah. not get dribbled past. And yeah. and in this day and age, there is no such thing as like a, la- a luxury number ten. Like if you look at Odegaard for Arsenal, he's a number ten, but he plays as a number ten, number eight hybrid, and he works his socks off. Yeah. And Kai Havertz now has been signed to do the same thing. Mm. And like I'm side getting sidetracked for just a moment here, but like people are hanging on, uh, sort of hanging on Kai Havertz, saying he's running around doing nothing for ninety minutes. But if you look at him in the past two games, he's got eight uh, ball, uh, eight jewels won. In each game, it's the most of any Arsenal player on the pitch. Habits, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's working his socks off off the ball. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I I think that is the issue at United. I mean, we spoke a lot about how you know Harry Maguire, you know, he could keep putting in bad performances and and keep getting played, and that's one aspect of it. But it just seems generally within the camp, like it doesn't have that, um like the hard work that Man City and Arsenal kind of now have like for the group, Mm. like players just go missing and then um, aren't really punished when they do so. Yeah. So yeah, I do think there's big issues at United. Bring Scott McTominay back in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, just quickly before we move on, um, you have to give credit to while we criticize the United midfield, the Spurs midfield was really good. Mm. Bissouma looks to be the player that we all thought yeah, he was when he left Brighton. He's back. <laughs> um, Papasar finally, finally now that now that he's, he's he's grown a year older, he's twenty years old now. He looked fantastic. Um, yeah. Defense, like winning the ball, but then driving through the midfield as well. And also, I mean, we all knew Madison was going to be a perfect fit for this team. Yeah, uh, and he is. Um, mm. And it, uh, right now, obviously, that they'll come across better teams and more well set up defensively teams not saying that United is a bad team but defensively right now they're a little bit frail Yeah. so we'll see how they perform against those more well set up teams but right now it seems to be they're not really missing Harry Kane too much yeah yeah which we hadn't actually hadn't touched on he's gone <laughs> yeah I did see a like a social media post of like you know the classic um, uh, Tottenham without Harry Kane it's the real Madrid like Galacticos yeah so. <laughs> Um, Classic 12th man tweet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they do look very good. Um, and I, I mean, they're going to miss him. Yeah. But they're like... But you just mean you're getting more, you're getting goals from lots of different avenues yeah. now. Whereas the last season he scored 30 of their 70 goals, which is almost half of their goals mm. in the Premier League. Yeah. Like that's that's not sustainable. Yeah. And at this point it doesn't look like they're struggling. So two goals each game uh, so far. Yeah, I would just say on Basuma that I think it's it's so good that he's come back into the fold after the injury and that is huge for Tottenham but like probably a player that you like I I had forgotten about a little bit hmm. when we were looking at Tottenham before the season had started. And it's almost as I mean a couple of years ago like he wasn't probably on the as highly rated as Caicedo is. But, you know, he wasn't that far off. Yeah, I mean, he was being linked with Arsenal. He was yeah. being linked with, like, uh, I think, other potentially Liverpool at one point. Like, Yeah. And he's that dynamic, like, defensively stout, but also very good. Going Just a really good sort of um, technical, but with a bit of flair, number eight. 
but he's defensively minded as well. And yeah, and then and also you also you've also got uh, Bentancur to come back into the mix as well. Yeah. So and it's, and all these players are playing so well that Hoiberg hasn't even doesn't even get a look in. Yeah. So, very Which very is wild. Very interesting to see how they go, especially with um, I think they're playing in the Conference League, so yeah, but they they could they could cakewalk that. Mm. Yeah. So. <laughs> I do actually, yeah. I mean, I like, I like the look of Tottenham this season, yeah. and I and I watched the uh, Bayern Munich, Werder uh, Bremen highlights. Me and, too. Yeah. And Harry looks good. I really, I really, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I haven't really liked him that much for some reason prior, but I, I really liked him. Yeah, and we were game. speaking about how it's sometimes it's hard for certain players to come in with a big price tag. He's the type of guy that it would not face. No, not at all. Yeah, he's yeah. the con- he's the most consummate professional. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just the first one where he just drops deep, puts a perfect ball through for Lino, Leroy Sane. Um, yeah, it, it was awesome. And then the finish is just so typical Kane. Yeah, just yeah. one on one. I was like, as soon as I was watching just the highlights, as soon as he got the ball, the I'm like, That's, this is a goal. It's <laughs> yeah. a wrap. He'll he'll score 35 goals this season easily. Yeah, I hope he wins. I mean, he's probably going to win a trophy this season. Yeah, but I hope he goes far in the Champions League as well. Anyway, yeah, we'll see. All right, uh, moving on to we'll just we'll just touch briefly on this just because uh, it's only really one talking point from um, the game. Uh, Man City beating Newcastle one nil. Newcastle looked decent, uh, and I think they're really showing so far in the first two games that they're until the European football starts, they're going to be up there. Um, but the the headline for me was injuries to. Kevin De Bruyne has meant that someone's going to have to step up in that creative midfield role and Phil Foden, I think this is his time to shine. This mm-hmm. is where he seizes the moment. He's got three months, maybe longer, to be like the guy in midfield for City and boy did he against against Newcastle. Nine chances created the, more, the most of any player in the Premier League this weekend. He was incredible. He was so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a big moment, especially with uh, Gundogan leaving as well, which, which is it's a similar role again. Um, again, I actually didn't see heaps of this. I only watched the match of the day hearts, but they the Alan Shearer and Danny Danny Murphy like uh, highlighted his performance in the post match like analysis, yeah, and they yeah. were just like he was everywhere. He did everything. Like yeah. he dropped dropped in between the lines, just just was incredible. He won man of the, player of the match. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I I I I I wouldn't be surprised because what is he now? He's twenty two, maybe twenty turning twenty three. If this is, it's not really a breakout because everyone already knows how good he is. But he was sort of like in and out of the team last year. If he can stay fit with while De Bruyne's injured, and he can put performances not maybe not as good as that every week, but just consistent performances, and he could not only set him up as the future of the City midfield because De Bruyne is what thirty one now. Yeah. But he could also set himself up as the nailed-on starter in that in the number ten position of the England midfield. Yeah, exactly. You got because you got Rice and Bellingham. That's like nailed on now, but mm. in front of them is still up for up for grabs, and he could lock that down. Yeah, because right because up until now Gareth Southgate's been picking him as a winger, and mm. we're always like, no, we play him as number ten, and this is where. Yeah, which would be huge for England. Yeah, it's it's definitely time to take that next step, and I mean, for a long time he's been kind of like the the young kid in a team of heroes who who's very good but is no by no means the main man um so yeah it's it's a very big opportunity but also yeah potentially potentially a little bit of a daunting prospect it's pressure for sure but yeah. it's a bit like you know pressure makes diamonds as they say and if he can rise to the top yeah throughout this next throughout this next three month period until what Christmas or no or yeah end of November yeah it'll be huge huge yeah. Uh, moving on, we've got uh, Brighton after two rounds, our top of the league, scoring as they score four goals again uh, in the second game against Wolves. Eight goals in two games. Uh, they're flying. Crazy. Uh, they got rid of Caicedo, they got rid of McAllister, and they seem to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what's the, what's the guy's name? The guy who scored the banger against Chelsea and he got and two CISO. assists. Yeah, and CISO, yeah. yeah. He, he didn't play. He didn't He, he didn't start round one and then round two comes in. two assists. Um, but yeah, all of the players who were playing well last season, apart from the ones that got um, sold, are just picking um, uh, right back up where they left off. Yeah. Solely March, very good form. And CISO, 
Karen Danny Matoma. Welbeck is looking very good. Yeah. Um, I think Milner might have got his first minutes for uh Yeah, for he's, Brighton. he's been playing it right back, so yeah. he's been doing well. Um, and then also, like, one week they had Van Heck standing next, starting next to Dunk at centre-back. This week they had Webster. Both looked fine. I mean, Wolves definitely had some chances, and I feel I do feel like if Brighton come up against a slightly bigger team, they've copped decent chances against Luton as well. It's like, how well will they... They've had a pretty good, easy run so far. Yeah. But... Right now, offensively, they're cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it, it's a bit hard to analyze them defensively because they've come up against Luton Town and Wolves, Wolves and they're kind of cheap goals. But they did concede a few chances against Wolves, I suppose. Yeah, but I think yeah, like it'll be interesting to see what they eventually settle on as the as the sitting midfield too, because uh, I think it was Pascal Gross and I can't even remember who was next to him. In the game, and then Ciso was ahead. Um, but yeah, Solly March and Matoma on the wings, and Welbeck. And then every Evan Ferguson, every time he comes, Evan Ferguson Welbeck is is a little bit of like Isak and Callum Wilson for Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. So Billy Gilmore, Billy Gilmore. See another really yeah, promising. About, he, yeah. he can. He's he's the same age as like twenty one, twenty two. He can really another guy that can kick on. Yeah, and Matoma. I think you might have mentioned this already, but yeah, goal of the season contender already, um, yeah. and shades of the Son goal against Burnley, where he just kind of like runs straight through everybody yeah. from a similar position in the pitch and um, bottom right hand corner finish. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, so yeah, a little bit. There'll, there'll be a, a again. It's hard. It's surprising that they're still this good after losing their two best two of their best players but it's not really surprising that they'll be fun to watch because yeah. they always are fun to watch mm. I'm excited for them to be in the Europa League too that'll be that'll be good yeah yeah. Um, alright finally the last thing we want to talk about uh, is just it's just quite an intense uh, weekend uh, for disciplinary reasons and for refereeing reasons so five red cards uh, which has now been drawn back to four as one of them has been uh, overturned at the appeal yeah appeals room but yeah five red cards and just a lot of dubious refereeing decisions i mean it's round two and we're already talking about it so that's yeah football. that's football yeah so there was uh, obviously the tim ream red card against brentford which is a two yellows the first yellow is obviously there but the second yellow pretty harsh pretty soft to send someone off for that yeah i think it's I think like you mentioning off air, it's harsh if it's the first one. It's yeah. like super harsh if it's the second one. Yeah. Because you, like, you, like the referee's interest is is to keep 11 players on the... Uh, is to keep 22 players on the pitch unless he's forced not to. And was he really forced to send Tim Ream off there? I yeah. don't think so. And you're giving him a penalty when they're 1-0 up. Yeah. So I think it's probably... It. And also, if you look at... Even if you look at the penalty, there's like maybe like a slight touch from Tim Ream, but the reason he falls over is because he fresh airs the strike at the ball. Yeah. There's co- there's contact there, and like you you've seen penalties be given for that yeah like that, that I think that's you know probably in contention but less so than yeah the, but like that's what I'm saying like like it, it's it was a it was a questionable but maybe still their penalty call yeah, yeah but definitely not a yellow card yeah so then we've got the McAllister red card which I just previously mentioned has been since overturned which again is like if you slow it down you it looks I actually no. Any of the replays just shows that he's a fraction of a second late to a 50-50. He doesn't go in hard for the ball, doesn't go in with any malicious intent, literally just tried to kick it. I don't know why, uh, I think it was David Cooch decided to send him off, and I don't know why Paul Tierney in the VAR room didn't tell him, hey, mate, you've actually probably missed this. There's no real intent. He barely touches him. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad that was overturned because that was never a red card. That was just a, that was just a football coming together. Um, yeah. Yeah. Paul Tierney sucks. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got the Tommy Asu red card. Um, so the first yellow card, I can understand why it's given because someone had to copy yellow card for that time wasting, whether it was Habits or him. Mm. He's just unlucky that it ended up being him on the ball when, yeah. when the referee had enough. But the second yellow card, I get that in the heat of the moment, it looks like maybe he's pulled his shirt, but like the replays are so damning. Like he doesn't, he maybe like does that I've just lightly rested my wrist on the table for the people listening mm. on Jordan Ayew's hip and Jordan Ayew falls to the floor yeah I yeah. thought Tommy actually took it well but I, th- I think it's very uh, like 
I agree that it's harsh, but I don't. I wouldn't say it's bad refereeing. That one. Mm. I think what the, what the bad refereeing was it's gamesmanship was, from Jordan Ayew. Yeah, and yeah, I think what the bad refereeing was give a yellow for that, but then not giving a yellow for Kai Havertz holding Jordan Ayew's shirt and not giving a yellow for Jordan Ayew all being all over Saka's back yeah. in the same game. Yeah. So it's just lack of consistency. Um, and then yeah, you've got the potentially contentious handball in the United game that wasn't given. Yeah. Um, for, on handball on Christian Romero, which again, I, I'm I'm happy with that not being given because of the close proximity. But again, I, you've seen that given so many times. Yeah. Like his hands are like this. It hits his hand. Like it's just no consistency, and that's what we, that's what we that's what, that's what we want. Yeah. <laughs> then wait. So the the West Ham game. Who got sent off? Aguerd. Aguerd. But those yeah. were two probably. Yeah, fair enough. That, that one was fair. And then obviously the Mateus Nunes. That the lo- only red card. The, the the other fair red card was the Mateus Nunes red card against Brighton because he just completely loses his head. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. Just the refereeing. It's just it's just annoying that it's something that needs to be talked about every week. Mm. Like. It is though, like I don't expect it to change. No. Like bad refereeing calls happen, but yeah, that was l- luckily not consequential in the Arsenal game. Yeah, or really in the Fulham game. I mean, or the, Liverpool, like, or the Liverpool that game. puts the game to bed. Yeah, um, but I think Brentford probably go on to win. Yeah, West Ham won with ten men and and Wolves, and we're, we're never going to beat Brighton. So. Yeah, and, and Liverpool. <laughs> Uh, went and scored five minutes after McAllister getting sent off. But I'm sure we'll be talking about it again next week. <laughs> yes. But yes, uh, that brings us to a conclusion of our five things around the Premier League. Oh, sorry, one more thing we want to talk oh, about. Oh, no, I was going to say the, the next week game. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, sorry. We've got one prediction. So, so far, we didn't quite get the Newcastle... No, you got the City scoreline prediction. Oh, no, the City result prediction, right? Yeah. But not the scoreline. You said 2-1. Do you pick Newcastle to win? I picked a draw. Draw, yeah. Uh, and then we both picked correctly Spurs to beat United. Yeah. You said, said 2-1, two one. I said 3-1. So we'll, we'll call that a win. So that means I'm I'm two from two. You're two from two. We, we should tally this as, yeah. as it goes. Okay, on. well, we will. Uh, so, yeah, these are predictions on, like, the showcase games of the weekend. Yeah. So there's only one this weekend. It's Liverpool versus Newcastle at St. James's Park? Yes. Yes. I think this is a tough one because Liverpool did look a lot better against um, uh, Bournemouth, albeit yeah. it was Bournemouth. And now with McAllister not missing the game, that might be key. But I, I do also think Endo, he looked okay, but he like, didn't, I wasn't like, oh, what an amazing defensive midfielder. Yeah. Uh, so if they start again without a defensive midfielder, it could be tricky against Newcastle who are looking pretty shit hot at the moment. Yeah, I just think... Although Shobber's lie was incredible against Bournemouth. I think it's hard to go past Newcastle. Like they thumped, They thumped Aston Villa, who were meant to be good. I'm still not sure whether they're good because it's hard to tell the Everton game. Yeah. Um, Newcastle then took the game to the best team in the country um, and were pro- probably in the end lucky not to come away with at least... With, with one point. Yeah. Not at least one point. Um, and Liverpool have looked decent but shaky. mm like early on against Bournemouth, Bournemouth had a few chances early on as well, and I think um, Newcastle won't miss though. So I think Newcastle win. Yeah, yeah, close. Yeah, I think it. I think it stays close for a while, and then three-one to Newcastle in the end. I'm gonna go a draw again. Okay. I think Newcastle will. I mean, Liverpool will sort of raise their level to. Um, yeah. Okay. To the team they're playing against, I might be wrong. Because they did look a little bit shaky at times against Chelsea. Uh, but yeah, I think how this game turns out will sort of make me sort of f- feel good or feel bad about my opinion of Liverpool preseason. Because <laughs> if they can if they can get a draw or even somehow a win, I feel like they'll be doing all right. But if they lose, then it's like, okay, they've got bigger issues. Yeah. So I'm going to go a one-all draw. One-all draw. Cool. And you're going to go a... 3-1. Oh yeah, yeah, three one. Okay. Do, do, do we want to? Nah, there's no other games. Nah, no other real games of note. I mean, there's the games that our teams are playing in, but I don't really. It's not really worth predicting those. Yeah. Okay, that'll do us. Uh, as always, if you've made it this far, give us a 
five-star rating on Spotify and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, 40yardswitch.pod on Instagram, 40yardswitchpod on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's it from us. Bye-bye.